And we're going to do something special, and we're going to sort of come off of the series that we just came out of. And the series we just came out of was called Hidden in Plain Sight. And you remember that we, what we did is we went back into the Old Testament, and we sort of looked at all the like, structures and events and promises and even objects from the Old Testament. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to see sort of a foreshadowing of Jesus. Remember some of the things we talked about? We talked about the promise of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. We talked about objects. We talked about the bronze serpent and we talked about the rock in the wilderness wanderings. We talked also about special prophecies, Isaiah chapter 53 and Psalms. We examined structures like the tabernacle and the temple. We even looked at the sacrificial system and then we finally even ended up with manna in the desert. And here's why we did all that. We wanted to see Jesus just a little bit more clearly. We wanted to see him, yes, in a foreshadow type of thing, but we, we wanted to see him a little bit more clearly. He was hidden, but yet at the same time, he was in plain sight. I don't know if you noticed this, but even in our PowerPoint up there, we always had it. We always had the cross. We always had the cross. It was hidden, but it was also in plain sight. Because here's what we believe. We believe this truth. The truth found in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God from the beginning. Jesus has been since the beginning of time. And we're, we're excited about studying the, the hidden parts. But today we're going to shift our focus. Today we're going to shift our focus. And what we're going to do is this, is... What was hidden is now in plain sight. When Jesus came down and he, was, he came to this earth in the form of a baby, that which was hidden now has become plain. And we saw a deity come in, in a human form. And as a body of Christ, here's what we do. We celebrate the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We also celebrate him being at the right hand of God and being him being at the right hand of God and his continued work that he does interceding for us. Now, I know that we don't know exactly when Jesus was born, but here's what we do love. We love this. We love that our world, our world for just a second, our world for just a second, and they, everyone stops and they think about, they acknowledge, and, and even praise the birth of Jesus Christ. And as the people of God, here's what we know. Anytime that happens, anytime that happens, it's a good thing for us. Amen? That's right. It's a good thing for us. It's a good thing for our Savior. So today what we want to do is this. We do want to look at the birth of Jesus. And so what I did was, is I went back and I just read the, the narratives, the birth narratives. And, and what hit me about the birth narratives is that I found three descriptions of Jesus, even at his birth. And these descriptions not tell us who he was, but also what he continues to do. And the three things that we want to emphasize today is the first one is, we want to talk about Emmanuel. It's found in Matthew chapter 1. Verses 22 and 23. 
And it talks about the prophecy that was long ago in, in Isaiah. And it says this, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the first term we want to look at, we want to look at Emmanuel. We want to also look at this as Savior, the second description found. And that's found in Matthew 1, 21 and 2, 11. And it says this, and she will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. And finally, this one, Messiah. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is, and it says in your Bible, the Christ. But if you look down, it says Messiah, the Lord. And so today what you're going to hear about are the three descriptions, the three terms to describe Jesus at his birth and the significance of each one of those, Emmanuel, Savior, and Messiah. Come on up. Things were not good for Judah. Things were not good for Judah in 734 B.C., Things were really bad. In fact, it was so bad that you could say there was no peace on earth or goodwill towards men. There were no angels singing songs of glad tidings, and it was not a silent night. There was nothing holy about it. Ahaz, the wicked king of Judah, had found himself in a dilemma. You see, the northern nation of Israel once part of Judah, under a wicked king, had joined with Assyria, and they together had joined forces. And now they were coming down to ask if Judah and Ahaz, who also was very wicked, would join with them, and they together could declare war on the Assyrians and Tiglath-Pileser. Now, Tiglath-Pileser was a, was a dictator. He was a ruler who wanted to conquer the world. And his dream was to come through Israel and Judah all the way down into Egypt and conquer the known world. And so here Ahaz was left with a dilemma. Do I join up with my people, the Israelites of the north, or do I call on God? And ask him for help. And in the end, he decided option number three. I'll take items of gold and silver from the temple and I will present them to the wicked dictator. And I will allow him to join forces with me. Maybe it was the Hitler of his time. I will turn to them and I will ask them to be on our side. And we'll open up trade and open up the border and we'll be unified with the Assyrians. And in that moment of chaos, in that moment of crisis, God comes to Ahaz in the form of a prophecy through Isaiah. And he says this, ask a sign of God. Ask a sign, ask anything you want. As high as the heavens, all the way down to the Sheol, ask anything and I'll give it to you. So that you will know that I am still God. And Ahaz responds and says, 
I can't ask anything of God. That would be putting him to the test. How dare I? And God responded and said, How foolish. How sinful that you wouldn't come to me and ask me. So there will be a prophecy given to you in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And here's the prophecy. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In the very next chapter, a child is born. And that child represents the fact that God is going to come down and plunder those who would stand against him. The message that God is with you or he is against you, but God is here. I got to tell you, when I hear that story, it makes total sense to me. It's the perfect Old Testament story. The perfect Old Testament story that says, hey, God is there. He is the God of the crown. And you better not stand against him. You better not oppose him. Because God is with us. He is the one who will fight against our enemies. And if we are his enemies, he is the one who would fight against us. It makes total sense that this would be in the Bible. But the next time the story comes up makes absolutely no sense at all. If you turn your Bible to the book of Matthew chapter 1. Because in Matthew chapter 1, the story is much different. We will hear of Emmanuel once again, but this time it's not when God's people are facing wicked leaders who are about to declare war. Rather, this time it happens when a young woman and her not-quite-husband find out that they are going to give birth to a baby boy. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But he considered these things. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's a story not of a crown with kings, but a story of a cradle. It's a baby named Jesus born in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn in the tiny town of Bethlehem. A child born to a young, poor, soon-to-be-married couple. A child whose birth would be sought out by astrologers and stargazers from pagan nations in the east. A child visited by Jewish sheep herders. 
all seeking this baby, this one that was called Emmanuel, God with us. When I say Emmanuel, God with us, I feel like what we're supposed to be talking about is the mighty God of heaven who comes down to vanquish our enemies. But when we talk about Emmanuel in this text, we are talking about the cradle, the God with us. And I got to tell you, to ears from anywhere else around the world, anywhere else besides the Christian background, to hear those words would be scandalous, ludicrous, and to us, completely and totally marvelous. It is tremendously scandalous to think that God would come in the form of Jesus. Probably those of us who are familiar with it wouldn't see it this way. After all, we are used to the nativity cards and the songs, and we're used to the story. But you need to understand that this is a scandalous story. So scandalous is a story that tells us in the text that Joseph himself, when he heard of this, had thought to quietly divorce his wife. To think that this, this pinnacle moment of history would come in the midst of two righteous people who were debating, or one of the two is debating on getting a divorce. Why? Because the story was scandalous. The idea that God could come in such an outrageously imperfect marital situation into a young couple's life is shocking. A young girl who is yet to be married to a poor carpenter, and now she's pregnant, it was scandalous. It's scandalous that the creator of the world, of the earth, would come down and become part of the creation. Those of the past who talked about the idea of what God coming to earth might look like will look at this and be shocked and blown away. God does not lower himself to the standard of the creation. And when we see stories about this, Biblical stories about this, they are so opposite the way the world would position this. I think about Hercules and how he would be seen coming to earth, a god in the flesh. Or perhaps Zeus coming to this earth. Kronos or Titans coming to this earth and what they would look like. But Jesus Christ, a baby no way. In fact, Paul has to address the issue in the, in the epistles. As Paul says, there are some believers or some people out there who have come amongst you who are saying that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh. Those Gnostics who see that this idea is it's scandalous. Yahweh, Adonai, Jehovah is a baby? impossible and yet here he was a poor carpenter's son born in a manger as a physically imperfect creature growing up like a tender shoot 
like a root out of dry ground with no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Despised and rejected by mankind, it was scandalous. But it wasn't just scandalous, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous, ludicrous. It's ridiculous to assume that God would come to this earth as a child. Not as any child, but as a baby to a virgin. In fact, Paul will talk in his message, in his letters and say, the teachings of Jesus Christ are foolishness. They're foolishness to Greeks. So ludicrous was the message of Jesus that his own siblings and the people of his own hometown failed to understand how this one who was raised among them could indeed be the Christ. His brothers in John chapter 7 didn't even believe in him. His own family didn't even believe in him. In Mark chapter 3 verse 21 it says, they thought he was out of his mind. Who? His family. He was rejected. Rejected by those closest to him because he's not what they expected. Scandalous, ridiculous. But to us, he is marvelous. To those who are being saved, Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. Emmanuel, God with us, shows us, us the depths that God would go for us. It is God himself who came down to our level, who would connect to us as we are. Not an angel or heavenly deity glistening with gold and light, but a normal human being, a baby in a cradle. He would humble himself and become a child who would be raised by flawed human beings in a flawed environment. He would experience temptations. He would know pain and sorrow and hunger and sadness and anger and all the emotions, the highs and the lows that people face. And he would stoop down and become a servant to humanity, picking up even the towel, touching the lepers, caring about the hurting, willing to engage on, with humanity on its level. I got to tell you, this is Emmanuel, God with us, not the great king of heaven who would come and vanquish us, but the God who would come down and care about us. The message of the cradle. Perhaps you're thinking to yourself, is God with me? Does he love me? Does he care about me? And if you do, I want you, to say, I want you to know today that the God of the cradle has an answer for you. The one of the cradle is willing to go to the deepest depths for you. There is no world low enough no person unworthy enough, no earth sinful enough that God wouldn't lower himself down to and care for because the God of the cradle cares. Emmanuel, God with us.
So today, remember the God of the cradle. Scandalous? Yes. Ludicrous? Perhaps. But to those who are being saved, the God of the cradle is the wisdom of God and the power of God. But he was not just Emmanuel. He was also Savior. In Luke chapter 2, we read this message spoken by an angel. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. A Savior. And the message was spoken not to kings or to prophets, but to shepherds. Now, it makes sense that it would be spoken to shepherds. After all, this Savior was to be like David, who would save the people from their enemies. And David was a shepherd. That lion of Judah, that lion who went out when there was a bear, he fought him. Or when it was Goliath, he fought him. And so it makes sense, as David was a shepherd, that the one who would save the people would also be a shepherd. But you see, that's not the only reason that the angel came to shepherds. The other reason is this, that the people had gone astray like sheep. And they were in need not only of a shepherd, but they were in need of a sacrifice. And so I can imagine as they heard those words that a Savior is to be born, they must have thought one who would come and vanquish their enemies. Perhaps the, the shepherds at the time would have thought about the Romans. Or maybe they would have thought about David with, with the Philistines. But they definitely probably didn't think about the real enemy that they faced, which was sin. And Jesus in his messages over and over and over again will say, that your real enemy, the thing that's really against you, aren't the physical things of this world, but it's the spiritual things that wage war against you, like sin. And so Christ came to save them, not as a lion. Sure, he would be a lion in some ways, but in this moment, as a sheep. The Jesus Christ who came to the cradle, but also who came to the cross. People at this point in history had to go before an altar and offer hundreds and hundreds and thousands of lambs, pure and innocent, as a sacrifice. And you can imagine the line as they'd go day after day, every time I sin offering their sacrifice before God, the gift of a sheep, and this eternal plume of smoke going up into the heavens. But then the Lamb of God came, Jesus Christ, who would take away the sins of the world. And so while Israel may have expected a lion as their Savior, they got the Lamb of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, to his own way. 
and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. So for the shepherds, Jesus was an answer to the sin problem. Salvation. Today, we remember not just the God of the cradle, but we remember the God of the cross. The third statement. He was not only Emmanuel, he was not only Savior, but he was also Messiah. And imagine just for a moment that you're a lonely shepherd out in the field and all of a sudden the angel of the Lord comes to you. And he says this statement. He says, today in the town of David, a Savior is born to you. He is the Christ, the Lord. And if you look real carefully in your Bibles, there's going to be a little letter by the word Christ. And if you go down to the bottom, it's going to read Messiah. So every time you see the word Christ, you see Messiah. And if you look, if you look carefully, there's just, there's just a lot of depth to the aspect of Messiah. Depth that maybe we in this, where we are right now, don't, we don't really get it. So when the angel of the Lord says to the shepherds, I want to let you know that the Messiah has been born. What did he mean by that? What, what's going on with that? You see, the word Messiah comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means the anointed one or the, the chosen one. And, and I want to let you know that as soon as somebody said Messiah back then, what they began to do is they drew these mental pictures. And the mental pictures had something to do with the idea of prophets and priests and kings being anointed with oil and being chosen for a very specific task and responsibilities. But if you dig a little deeper into Messiah, especially in the the birth narratives, I want to let you know there's a power there in the word Messiah that I think sometimes we overlook. I want to let you know when that happened, when the angel of the Lord came down and he announced that the Messiah has been born, it's as if heaven couldn't contain itself any longer. It's just they couldn't contain itself every longer. And the, and the skies busted open and they began to give glory to God. It says the heavenly host gave glory to God. There was a very opposite reaction, though, to King Herod. When he heard the word Messiah, it caused him fear and dread. And when he realized that he had been duped by the Magi, then what he did is became enraged. And what he did is he gave an order for all the baby boys two years and younger to be killed around Bethlehem. And scripture goes back and it reaches all the way back into Jeremiah talking about the, the crying that was going on because of the evil wickedness of Herod. And then when you look at the Messiah at the very beginning of his ministry, we found it's the call. It's the call that disciples have been waiting for. And Andrew goes to Simon and he goes, listen, I want to let you know that we have found the Messiah. And then finally, in John chapter 4, the disenfranchised Samaritans, 
the half-breed Samaritans were looking for, longing for the Messiah. Because when the Messiah would come, he would, he would bring everything. He would explain everything that was going on. There's this sense of restoration, even for the Samaritans. When the Messiah would show up and Jesus at that moment in time declares that he is the Messiah. So Jesus, who lay in this manger, was the fulfillment of the promises from the very beginning of time. He is the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one. Like I said earlier, there's this depth to the word Messiah that honestly we just don't have time to talk about today. There's this idea of the redemptive work of the Messiah. There's this idea that it's tied to the Son of Man and it's tied to the Son of God. It, and then we know this, you go to Isaiah chapter 61 and you look at some of the prophecies and the prophecies about the Messiah and we just don't have time to go into that. But the question still, we still have to ask this question that when 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 the angel came and when Luke was talking about what aspect of the Messiah was the angel of the Lord talking about? There is an aspect to the Messiah that this, that this angel declared at his birth. And I think it's in the clue of the Lord. I think it's there. See, Jesus is the Messiah. And I think it's referring to at this moment in time when the angel of the Lord declares to the shepherd that the Messiah has come. And then he adds that phrase, the Lord. And at that moment in time, there was this immediate understanding of what the Messiah meant at that moment in time. It means that he is the king. He is the king. He's the king of all kings who rules over all creation. He's the supreme Lord, sovereign of the universe, the Lord of lords, both Savior and sovereign. And I think that's what's going on here at this moment in time. I believe that that's what's happening when he makes the declaration about Jesus being the Messiah. He is the absolute ruler. He is the absolute supremacy in Christ. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And so the question is this, how do I respond to the Messiah, the Lord, the King of Kings. How do, how do I do that? I mean, what does that look like for me? What does that look like for us? And, and I want to sort of just explain it this way. I want to sort of like take this approach. Let me just tell you this. A lot of times when we think about his lordship, him being king, lord of lords, we really automatically do this. We automatically go to his earthly ministry. And over and over again, Jesus will do these incredible miracles. He'll walk on water. He'll heal people. We think sometimes of him as the Lord when he talks about his teachings. And most definitely we, talk, we think about him being the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the Messiah, when it came to his death and ultimately his resurrection from the dead. And I want to let you know that's when we usually think about him in that terms. But I want to let you know something. If we only exclusively think of Jesus, his rule, his reign, and his power, at these moments, we're missing the power of this moment in time. Let me explain it this way. When Jesus was born, he was like every baby born. 
he was absolutely helpless. He was helpless. He couldn't feed himself. He he couldn't do anything. He couldn't care for himself. He couldn't even hold up his head. And yet, at that moment in time, at that moment in time, at that very moment in time, as he lay there in the helplessness of infancy, well, I didn't even say that right, did I? As an infant, when he lay there as an infant, absolutely helpless, let me tell you what he was. He was ruler, he was king, and he was Lord, and he reigned over all creation, even as an infant. Amen? Even at that moment in time, his most helpless time, he was all of that. He was all of that. And I think that's the power of these statements here about him being the Messiah, even at his birth. Messiah was not a title that he would later get. It's a declarative statement at that moment in time. He is Messiah. He is King. He is Lord as he lay in the manger. And so the question again is, what do we do with this baby? What do we do with this baby who's absolutely helpless and yet is absolutely ruler, king, and lord? You know what we do? We do this. We bend the knee. We bend the knee. Like everybody who came to worship the king. Whoever comes and worships royalty and deity, here's what we do. We bend the knee. And we bend the knee, and when we bend the knee, here's what we say. We say, God... Lord Jesus, Messiah, Savior, Emmanuel, Messiah, here's what we're going to do. I will do what you want me to do. I will obey what you want me to obey. And I will be what you want me to be. We bend the knee. I, I, I don't know what this next year holds for us. But I know this, that we have to be a church that bends the knee at the Messiah. Amen? We bend the knee at the Messiah. Today, I hope that you have been touched by the statements made at his birth. I hope that your heart has been touched to realize that, that, that he's Emmanuel. He is God with us. And that he is our Savior. And that he saves us from our sins. But we need to also recognize this. That he is Messiah. He's King. He's Lord of Lords. He's Master of the Universe. There is nothing above him. And all that happened, all those words happened right at his birth. And so today, 
whether publicly or privately. Here's our prayer, and that our prayer is this, that it, whether it's public or whether it's private, that you have been renewed, that you have been encouraged, that you have been challenged by the birth of Jesus Christ as we stand and as we sing.